Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today's Gospel opens with Jesus asking the apostles, Have the people reached a conclusion as to his identity? As he says, Who do the people say that I am? Now you could say Jesus is conducting his own popular opinion poll. Based upon hearing Jesus preach and seeing all the miracles he performs, have the people formed an impression as to whom he truly is. But notice where they are, and this is important. They're in Caesarea Philippi region. Well, this is Gentile territory. So this is very odd for Jesus to ask the apostles what the local Gentile population thinks of him, especially considering Jesus spent most of his ministry in Jewish territory. He didn't spend a whole lot of time in Gentile territory. So if he really wanted to know what the people thought of him, he would have asked this question when they were in Jewish territory. Now notice the responses the apostles give him. John the Baptist, Elijah, others, the prophets. Now, these are all crazy answers. The one thing they all have in common, they're all dead wrong. They don't come even close to Jesus' identity. Here's the hint. Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care what the people think about him. But what he does care about is what the apostles think. Have the apostles formed an impression in who he truly is? That's why he poses the question next to them. Who do you say that I am? Now notice, all the apostles are quiet. So it gives us the implication that they don't really know who Jesus is. They're not really sure of his identity. But Peter does. Peter is the only one that speaks up. And he says, you are the Christ. He gets it right. Now how is it that Peter comes to this conclusion when all of the 11 other apostles couldn't even remotely know who Jesus was? Is it because Peter is the smartest? Hardly. Peter is a simple fisherman, and he's illiterate. He doesn't know how to read or write. Is it because Peter is the holiest of them all? Hardly. Peter's faith is constantly vacillating, hot and cold. We see this even in this gospel passage for today. Later on, Jesus will call him Satan and tell him to get out of his way. So why is it? that Peter gets it and the others don't. Well, Mark doesn't tell us. What we have to do is find this account in Matthew's gospel. And Matthew tells us. In that account from Matthew, it says, Jesus told Peter, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Now, this is crucial for us to understand this. Peter and the apostles, they represent the church. And therefore, only in the church can we see and understand 
the fullest expression of truth, as well as the presence of God. Now, some would argue, well, I see God's presence in the beauty of nature. Sure. Or I see God's presence in the birth of my child or my grandchild. Sure. But the fullest understanding of the presence of God and the knowledge of God can only come from remaining in the church, from the church's sacraments, the Eucharist, the scriptures, from the rites and the rituals, the doctrine and the dogma. See, this is why it is so important for us to remain in the church, so that we see the fullest expression of God's presence as well as the understanding of who God is. Now, after revealing his identity, Jesus now reveals his mission and how it will culminate in his suffering and death. Now, Peter doesn't like that. He doesn't want to hear anything of that. That's why he grabs Jesus, pulls him aside, away from all the apostles. And now they're alone together. Away from the apostles, they're away from the church. And now Peter, he begins to express his own personal interest. Now, Peter, like many of the Israelites for centuries on end, have been hoping for a Messiah. However, their impression of a Messiah was a warrior Messiah, like King David, who would unite the country of Israel, defeat the Roman army, and reestablish Israel as the economic, military, and political superpower of the region, just as David did during his reign. And so Peter thinks Jesus is that very Messiah. Therefore, the very notion that Jesus would have to suffer and die contradicts everything that Peter believes Messiah should do. That's why he starts yelling at Jesus. He rebukes him, tells him he's wrong. But notice how Jesus responds to this in a very vigorous way. He attacks Peter. In fact, in front of all the apostles, He calls Peter Satan, and then he says, get behind me, which he really means is get out of my way or get lost. Peter is preventing Jesus from carrying out his ultimate mission. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah that the Israelites have hoped for. And yes, he is a great warrior. He will do battle with the greatest enemy of the world, sin and death. And yes, he will win a great victory over sin and death through the power of his resurrection. Now, what does Jesus do next in the story? Well, he tells the apostles his mission. And now he tells us our mission. He says, whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, that's what following Jesus looks like. Now, what I want to do is I want to focus on that cross and carrying that cross And what that really means to us, you know, now that we're living in the 21st century. If you're living in the first century under Roman law, to take up your cross is earth shattering. Now realize the Romans used the cross as a means of execution throughout the entire empire. The cross or death on the cross crucifixion was an execution that was always reserved for the worst criminals. The people that were executed on a cross or received crucifixion, it was always done at the entrance gates of any Roman village, town, or city. It was deliberate. Why? 
because the Romans wanted to send a clear and unambiguous message to anyone entering to that city, town, or village. This is what would happen to you if you violate Roman law. And so the cross and the crucifixion was a very effective deterrent to crime. And so then it begs the question, why? Why does Jesus use an instrument of death for the prerequisite for us following him? Well, first, the cross represents the world that was governed by the principles of fear, oppression, and worse yet, sin and death. Now, through Jesus Christ, the cross, as well as the world, is reversed. You could say even turned upside down. Now, it becomes a symbol of Jesus' triumph over death. More to it, the principles that now govern our lives are not the principles of this world, but instead they are the principles of Jesus Christ and the teachings of our church that Jesus himself established. Just as importantly, prior to Jesus, the cross was always feared. Yet through Jesus, it becomes the greatest symbol of self-sacrificing love known to the world. Jesus climbs the cross, not for himself or his own grandeur or notoriety. No, he climbs the cross motivated solely for love of you, for all of us, in order to save us. Jesus once said, there is no greater love than to lay your life down for another. Well, that's exactly what he does for us. A second reason to carry the cross is we must now follow that example of Christ. We have to live out that self-sacrificing care for others in this world. And yet, before we can do that, there's one important thing that we have to do. We have to deny ourselves. So what does that really mean? Well, to deny yourself means we have to honestly say and believe, my life is not about me. My life is not about me and my wants and my desires and my ego and everything else and everyone else in this world takes a back seat to me. No. To deny yourself means we say, my life is not about me. Instead, my life is about me in relationship with God and living out that relationship every day of my life to the best of my abilities. See, when we can say that with all honesty, now we're free. We are completely free to put the needs of others before ourselves, to live a life of stewardship so that we share our prayers and our prosperity as well as our skills and talents for the benefit of our faith community. See, then we become the person that God created or intended us to be. One last thing to think about. Turn to that second reading for this weekend from James. You know, that second reading from James blends with the gospel like a beautiful symphony. There's that one line from James that's the best. He says, I will demonstrate my faith to you from my works. Well, we have to realize our faith is not something that's private, that we can just keep to ourselves, hidden or locked away. Instead, our faith has to be lived out every time we come to Mass, but also every time we leave and we go to work and we go to our neighborhoods or we go to our house and our families or we go to you know activities that we have in our life. We live out our faith always. 
better yet, we share our faith. We share our faith with our family and our friends, with our neighbors. We share our faith with our co-workers. You know, we share with them the reason why we feel a sense of fulfillment and joy because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And in doing so, in sharing our faith, we try and help people experience that same joy, that same sense of fulfillment that we know and have through a relationship with Christ. See, that's what James is getting at. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You know, faith looks like something. Friends, today, all three of the scripture readings teach us that, yes, faith looks like something. It's a beautiful picture, a portrait, and how we all fit into that picture by living out our faith each and every day of our life. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.